0: This podcast is part of the Unresolved Podcast Network. To discover more, visit unresolvednetwork.com. Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze.
1: Hi, I'm Teresa Blaze, and this is the Unresolved Life Podcast. I have a question for you. What if you? or a survivor of rape. That's what we're talking about. If you have kids in the room, this may not be the best time for them to listen. So I'll give you a few minutes to uh, pause this and get them out. Meanwhile, we'll talk about our sponsor real quick, and that is FixMyWater.co. Do you know what's in your water? Most people don't, and yet they drink just regular tap water or they think okay i'm gonna go drink bottled water Well, the problem with bottled water is that most of the time they're strictly filtering the water for taste and then selling it to you at a premium price but they're not getting all the garbage that's in your water out of there and then on at on top of that you're drinking microplastics That's not good for your body, and it's certainly not what God intended. You need to have a quality water filtration system, and we can provide that. Go to www.fixmywater.co, fill out that information right there, receive a no-cost, no-obligation water quality report, and let's get you on the way for healthier, cleaner water. All right. Today, I have got Miss Lanita Reeves. She is the author of seven books including her very first one, which is A Journey from Rape to Redemption. It is an excellent resource if you have been through something like that. And she's here to share her story. Lenita, welcome to the show. Thank you so
0: much, Teresa, for having me. I'm excited to be with you today.
1: Before we dive into the actual story, I want to get a little tiny bit of background. Did you grow up in the church? Were you always a believer? I
0: did grow up in the church, and I I say, however, with a caveat. My parents uh, gave us what they could give us. We grew up in a church um, that was a little bit restricted. You know, it was not inviting to the Holy Spirit, and <laughs> uh, I saw a different side. You know, you know, we would be listening to a certain type of music and. Certain kinds of things would be going on in the car until we pulled up into the parking lot of the church. So I grew up going to church, but I did not grow up or become a Christian until, you know, late in my high school years.
1: That's very interesting. So how did you actually come to Christ then?
0: I was date raped when I was 15, uh, became pregnant after that. And I, I just sat in my room one day after going to church uh, with my parents When I went to church that day, I was showing, I was pregnant and I was, you know, it was the, you know, I first started showing the pregnancy just had just become evident. And the reactions I got from people were that of rejection and judgment. And I went home uh, after that and I said, you know, God, if you're real, I need you to show me because I don't want anything to do with your people (laughs) after the way I was treated and I, I just prayed that, you know, God, if you're real, I need you to show me, you know, for, for myself. And he did. And he did. And he showed me, you know, throughout the process of my entire pregnancy and my subsequent year of high school, um, I graduated senior class president and number 10 in my class after having had a child. And I look back on it now and I know that it is just the hand of the Lord that was with me because I didn't know enough. Um, to to walk with him as closely as I should have, but I see his hand uh, was on my life and his goodness was on me. It's phenomenal. It's kind of like, you know, Joseph, when Joseph went was sold into Egypt, he was angry at his brothers all those years, but God never left him. God was still with him, you know, and we know he was angry because when he saw them again for the first time, he threw one of them in jail, you know, he took them through all kinds of rigmarole and um, the Bible says that he spoke very harshly to them and so we know out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so we know he was still dealing with the anger and um, the unforgiveness but God was still with him and I look back on my own journey even through those years um, of being raped date I was date raped at 15 being raped you know and you know having a child as a teenager but being able to graduate the way I did I know it was God. <laughs> all the way
1: i want to actually go back to that night of the actual rape and then i uh, well there's two things i want to touch on i want to touch on that night and then i want to touch on your parents reaction to it so first of all can you tell us like how 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 that actually happened and we'll go from there
0: how it happened in my parents reaction well how what happened was um my parents i believe my parents divorce contributed to um, where I was at that time uh, in life as a teenager, my parents divorced when I was seven, and you know, as a seven-year-old, you you don't know all of what goes on between your parents. We just process the aftermath of it, you know. And uh, when they divorced, my mother had full custody of, of me and my sisters. I have two older siblings, and to us, it just felt like he didn't fight for us or that he didn't want us. So, um, I I believe that that impacted my journey even into my teenage years because I started dating a guy that, you know, Stevie Wonder could see I shouldn't have been dating him. But I was looking for that affirmation, that love, um, that nurturing, that leadership of a father. And I started dating this guy from the other side of the tracks. I was a nerd. (laughs) I was a nerd and a straight A student and gifted and talented. But I I wanted so bad to feel like I was attractive and desirable, and you know, you know, your body goes to, goes through puberty and all of that stuff. So anyway, I started dating a guy that I should not have been dating. Um, I was in high school; he had already um, graduated from high school, um, but he would come to the campus, and that's how I met him. Uh, and so uh, we had been dating; he had been my quote unquote boyfriend. Um, And I would uh, go out with him, hang out with him. But anyway, this one particular day, um, he came and picked me up and he took me to an apartment and he said we were going to uh, visit a friend. Well, we got into the apartment and the apartment was empty. And I was like, I thought we were visiting somebody. He said, you know, just relax, you know, and so on and so forth. And so we started making out, we started kissing and uh, he uh, wanted the kissing to go further. And, you know, long story short, he forced himself on me in that empty apartment. And um, I, I just, at that moment, I just knew that I was trapped. You know, I, I, I wasn't strong enough to push him off of me. People couldn't hear me. And I just knew at that moment, I, I was in a lot of trouble after that, he actually drove me home. He actually drove me home. And um, I waited a few days. I was broken. I didn't know what to do, but I ended up telling my mother uh, what happened. And after that, he and I got into a fight and he physically hit me. And so I told my mother after the fight, she called the police um, and when the police came about the fight, I also told the police that he had raped me, um, and that's that's how it that's how it unfolded.
1: Was he ever charged?
0: No, no, he was never charged. He was never charged. No, and emotionally, I wasn't in a place to pursue it at that age, and my mother didn't. You know, yeah, you know, I was I was fifteen, and and my mother didn't either. And I, I didn't press it. I just wanted to move on. I just wanted it to go away. Did your mom believe you? I'm, I'm pretty sure that she believed me. I think she was very frustrated um, because it was not a relationship that she approved of. And it was a relationship that, you know, she, we were constantly, you know, at it. Like, she was like, why are you, you know, with this guy? So she was already not in favor of it, already frustrated um, by some of the things that were happening in the relationship already. So I just don't think she... Nor I had the emotional energy to pursue anything with the police. Um, And then on some of it also had to do with, you know, the way they handled the the interview when when they came out um, after us, after us getting into a physical fight. Uh, We just felt like, you know, it wasn't going to go anywhere.
1: You end up pregnant from a rape. Uh, Can you kind of walk me through when you found out that you were pregnant? What were some of your thoughts? were you told to possibly abort the child? And how did you come to the decision that, no, I'm not going to do that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. When I got pregnant, I, the, the, the thing that gripped me was fear. I mean, that was, you know, the thing that gripped me the most was fear, (laughs) you know, and I I was not born again. I was not a Christian, you know, so, you know, there could have been a different father, you know, it wasn't, determinative that I was pregnant from the rape. I had a lot of stuff going on. And when I when I say I've been redeemed, I've really have been redeemed. So, uh, but the thing that gripped me the most was fear. I was definitely afraid because I didn't know how my mother was going to react, but I knew it was going to be negative. And you know, I didn't know to what degree it would be negative. I knew she was going to be mad. I knew she was going to be upset. You know, I, I thought, well, maybe she's going to kick me out. Maybe this is the final straw. She can't take it anymore. You know, maybe this is going to be uh, the end, you know. And um, I was definitely, definitely afraid. And I felt very much alone uh, and abandoned and confused and didn't know what to do. Um, but I knew I had to tell her. I knew I had to tell her. I knew she was my my own my only hope at that point, <laughs> you know, the only person that would... Potentially, uh, even try uh, to help me. So I told her, and of course, she was angry, um, and her initial reaction was very hurtful, uh, you know. And, um, but after some time, uh, she turned around and she, you know, told me, I'm going to help you, I'm going to support you. So you finish school. And my two older sisters were also very supportive. Um, one of them helped me name the child um, a biblical name, and they just kind of helped me get through it. Because when I spoke to my mom, I was contemplating having an abortion, and when I spoke to my sisters, my older sisters as well, and they were like, no, there's no way you can have an abortion. Don't do not do that. You know, and they were, my mother and my sisters were very clear with me that this child is not a sin. This child is a blessing. <laughs> The child is not the sin. The The child is a blessing, you know, and a lot of times when people um, get pregnant at a young age like that, they can't, they can't separate the two. And so they abort the child, but the child is a blessing. Um, and what the, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned it for good. And I'm so glad, you know, that I made that decision with the help of my mother and my sisters uh, to not abort my child, you know, so Um, Yeah, she was upset initially, and it was painful for me to hear the things that she said initially, but I recognize now, in later years, I recognize that she was hurt. She was disappointed. You know, she didn't want me to have to go through uh, what I was going to have to face and go through.
1: Every parent has their way of handling a situation where uh, the kid does something like that, or, you know uh similar and go and they go man you're hurting yourself and so they it seems like they really either react negatively or angrily but it's mainly because they love you at least most of the time
0: yeah i agree but i think um teresa what that what that did her changing and coming around you know after her initial anger is it it demonstrated restoration and it demonstrated redemption. And uh, it's difficult for us. Now I'm a parent, I understand it, because we want the best for our children. But even in crisis, one of the best things we can do for our children is to uh, demonstrate redemption and restoration for them because uh, there are many, many, many leaders even in scripture who were dysfunctional that went through so many challenges but it was that redemptive and restorative hand of god you know that staying power uh, that that brought them through and was a propelling force in them turning their lives around and becoming whoever it is that god had purpose for them to be
1: you go through a rape you go through a pregnancy you you cry out to god <laughs> What happened after you left high school and you, you see God's hand, you graduate high school. How does he, how does he draw you into a tight relationship? Because I could tell, I mean, you got Christ pouring out all over you and I, and, I, and I could see that. But there had to be a journey from God, if you're real, to, to where you're at now.
0: After I graduated high school, my son and my mom stayed um, the first year. They stayed, my son stayed at home with her, and I went off to undergrad. And when I got on campus, uh, one of the first people I encountered, uh, I was moving into the dorm, and there was a young lady who saw me moving in, and she invited me to Bible study. (laughs) It was a setup because, you know, she was inviting me to campus ministry, and I I told you that the church I grew up in was not very inviting of the Holy Spirit, very restrictive, very traditional. And so um, she invited me to this Bible study, and I said, okay, sure, I'll, I'll come. Well, I went on campus to that Bible study, and those college students were on fire. They were shouting. They were lifting their hands. They were praying in the Spirit. And I looked around and I said, where am I? And, um, you know, the young lady that invited me was there. And, uh, you know, I, I kept going. And even though it was a new envir- environment for me, it was a different kind of expression. It was not the expression that I grew up uh, in church having. And so, you know, they started to, you know, teach me um, things. The, and I would say, you know, this is new to me. So I need you to show it to me in the Bible. And they would show it to me. You know, they would show it to me. They would show me uh, in the Bible uh, about who Holy Spirit is, and they would show me about uh, you know the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I said, okay, if it's in the Bible, then I will you know at least be open to it. And that one invitation from that young lady when I was moving into the dorms in my freshman year changed my life forever because campus ministry was were, were the days where my real formation started. Um, I go to church, you know, that whole time, but it was just that it was just going to church Uh, until, you know, I prayed that prayer the year before I left to go to undergrad that God showed me if you're real, you know, and I believe that, you know, that encounter with her inviting me to Bible study was part of him showing me that he is real and taking me into a deeper relationship with him. So I always tell people that um, campus ministry was a pivotal, pivotal, uh, turning point in my formation and my journey
1: with God. You know, I can actually relate to that. Uh, I grew up in a very broken home. Uh, my, my my story is very convoluted, shall we say. Um, but when I went to high school, it was some teachers and it was a combination of students at some different points that really showed me who god was and my last year of high school was both the hardest and yet i began to understand who god was in a deeper way um you know because you know it's also where i discovered that i love to write poetry that kind of thing and so i i said that to say this you know i love hearing that because especially now i mean i went to school We didn't, you know, we didn't have metal detectors before we walked into school, you know, and I mean, there was always the risk of uh, different things, but it wasn't as bad as it is now, and God still kind of was allowed, sort of, as long as you played by the rules, and I really see the need for him to be revealed. In the next generation, I really see that need, especially if you're like in middle school, high school, somewhere around there. And yes, in college days, because you and I both know the statistics that by the time someone hits college, if they are not grounded in their faith, they're probably going to lose it.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I mean, I think that's another reason why campus ministry is so important. And like you said, there's such a need uh, to have God revealed to this next generation. I think it's absolutely vital.
1: What has God laid on your heart that you are looking to share with people um, who maybe might be in the same situation as you or maybe not?
0: I think that's a great question. And one of the things I would say is that your pain uh, doesn't negate your purpose. And, and one of the things I've discovered is that your purpose, your assignment in God, in life, existed before your pain. And Whatever you go through, whatever pain you go through, it doesn't negate your purpose or your assignment. The other thing that I would say is that I know that a lot of people struggle with the question of why. Why did this happen to me? Um, And that was something that I think because of what I have been exposed to, I struggled with for a little bit, but um, I found answers in the scripture. And one of the things that I've, I've found is that in um first samuel <clears throat> in first samuel or second samuel excuse me chapter 13 there's the account when tamar was raped by her half brother and in that passage it talks about the fact that he was vexed he was he grew so sick he was so influenced by evil that he grew sick and he grew thin thinking about having sex with his half sister and this, that passage also goes on to say that after he raped her, he hated her. He, he didn't even want to see her. He wanted her out of his sight. And one of the things that I understood from that is that when somebody is assaulted, it's because the perpetrator is under the influence of evil. They are under the influence of an evil spirit and a desire for power, to exercise power and to dominate. Um, rape isn't just about sexual lust. It's about power. They, somebody wants to exert their power on you. And a lot of times, perpetrators are people who are very insecure and angry and um, want to, to feel superior and other people to feel um, dominated by them. And so, I understood that it, it wasn't God. It was This guy I was dating was under a demonic influence. He was under the influence of evil, and he had a will and a decision, and he decided to do it. Um, And so that helped me to let go of any question of why or any resentment that I had um, for God. And I came to find out that my mother had also been violated. And so I, I prayed against that cycle. I didn't want that cycle to repeat. And those right. were things, yeah, those were things that it was the scriptures that really helped me to understand.
1: It sounds like that was a stronghold in your family's bloodline.
0: Well, I think for my mother, it, you know, I think it was something that the enemy wanted to repeat, you know, if he wanted the cycle to repeat in the women in my family from my mother's side. And um, yeah, and so you know, I just began to search the scriptures. And that's actually how I wrote the first book, was the answers that I got from the scripture. And and one of the things I would also say is that when somebody is sexually assaulted, violated, you know, rape is to a woman what castration is to a man. You know, it's a stripping away of something. You know, when a man is castrated, there's a stripping away, right, of masculinity. Uh, And for a woman, rape is that stripping away of of femininity and and innocence. Uh, But we can be restored through Christ. We can be restored. And, you know, I just also discovered, you know, because, you know, I didn't know what was going on with me for years, you know, raped at 15 and all of these things are coming at you at one time. It took me years to unravel and unravel all of the things that were coming at me. And I discovered from the scripture that when you are sexually assaulted, it's not one thing that attacks you. It's a package, right? So there's first there's anger. You're angry at the perpetrator. You know, then there's guilt, there's blame. Maybe if I wasn't with them, it wouldn't have happened. There's shame right? There's shame to tell people what happened to you. Uh, there's rejection, <laughs> right? You feel rejected. Uh, there's soul ties. So it's not just one thing that attacks somebody who's been sexually assaulted. It's a package. I needed the uh, the wisdom of God from the scriptures to really help me to see all of those things uh, oh, that man. I was dealing with.
1: Yeah. You know, wow. I mean, there is so much there. Um, I, I could totally see that. Um, and, you know, now when you tie that in, when you tie in your story, I've seen I've heard so many stories, especially in light of the scourge that is human trafficking. Um, so much is happening on that front. And so many people are hurt and abused and used. And it almost seems like. You know, the enemy can't really hurt God, so what does he do? He goes after his creation and does the most obscene, obese obese things you could possibly imagine to hurt the heart of God.
0: You know, I I also feel like that sometimes the enemy tries to cripple people, mark them early, uh, early in life, to cripple them from achieving their assignment or walking in their assignment. And I think that rape and assault is one of the ways that He does it because He wants people to live in that shame and live in that rejection. And if you live in that shame and that rejection, you never have the boldness and the confidence to actually come out and be who God has assigned you to be. And so, I believe that the enemy puts the greatest effort into silencing the greatest voices and that's why even though it's a common term that's why i called the book breaking the silence the journey from rape to redemption because i feel like part of what he wanted to do was to silence my voice right and to and to cripple my confidence in what god had assigned and called me to do
1: amen amen you know it's a very similar pattern with abuse victims that like domestic violence or something like that if you're dealing with that the last thing you want to do is tell someone or get help because what if no one believes me, you know? um, And so I could totally see that. Um, Wow. Let me ask you this. If someone is listening and maybe they've been raped and they haven't told anybody, but they're struggling and they're trying to live life, but they got this demon in the back of their mind, this ghost of a memory and they don't know how to deal with it. What would you say to them?
0: Uh, I would say that they have to tell someone and, They can go to a Christian counselor or a biblical counselor or to a support group, um, you know, where whatever they say will, you know, be kept confidential. But uh, you can't let those things bottle up inside of you. You have to articulate it. You know, there's there's a principle in the scripture that says that confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. Uh, So, the principle is not the fault. The principle is that there's healing in confession. There's healing in saying something. There's healing in articulating it and letting it out and expressing it. There's healing in that. Um, And so, I would say that operate in that principle and articulate it. Get it out because it will be like a weight lifted off your shoulders just to tell someone. And that I would also say that there are many, many places that you can go where you will find Uh, women who have been through it and can relate and they won't judge you, but they will be able to offer you insight into their healing journey um, and not impose that on you, but there'll be a sounding board uh, that can relate to what you are going through. Because often when we are assaulted, we feel like we're the only one going through what we're going through. Um, But I think that when we open up, we'll find that. Um, you know, a lot of women are in the same, you know, have gone through the same situation, you know, case in point, you know, I sat in church for years and nobody was talking about, you know, what at the time was my deepest hurt, you know, being sexually assaulted. Nobody was talking about that across the pulpit, (laughs) right? Um, but if you go to some of these, there are Christian support groups, um, you know, if you go to a biblical counselor or a Christian counselor, you'll be able to express yourself in a safe environment.
1: That's mostly needed. I mean, and I think that really ties into. I do. I do agree. Uh, agree that um, having a a biblical counselor or a a uh, uh, a support group is is vital. But I think you said something that I really want to touch on, and that's that these kind of subjects are not spoken about in the pulpit. Or if they are, they're mainly whitewashed and shoved under the rug. That's kind of one of those things where I go, wait a minute, if we are the body of Christ, should we not address the issues that are plaguing the world and and rape and uh, abortion and I name the issue? But shouldn't we address them outright and let's bring out the elephant in the room?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I so agree with you. And that's why I, I continue to be very vocal about being a rape survivor, uh, even as a church leader. I'm very vocal about it. And I often get people who come and they say, I'm so glad that you are transparent. Thank you for being transparent. And I've seen so many um, women and men. Uh, you know, get set free um, Mm -hmm. just by somebody standing up and telling their testimony. Um, You know, rape and sexual assault uh, is still predominantly a female issue, but more and more uh, men are coming out and saying, I was raped. I was molested. If you think about it, where I live in the state of Maryland, uh, five out of 10 women are the victim of uh, you know, uh, attempted sexual assault, and so that means that five out of the ten women sitting in our pews have, you know, been affected by it. And we know that the numbers are higher because uh, predominantly the church is, you know, predominantly female. There are more women in church than men. Uh, and so, if this is affecting uh, the people who sit in our church pews in our church chairs every week uh, at a greater proportion, then why aren't we talking about it? Uh, it it makes sense that we would do that because that is what we're there for. Jesus said, I didn't come for those who are well. I came for those who are sick, meaning I came for the people who are hurting. I came for the people who need uh, the healing virtue that I carry. And that's just not physical healing. It's emotional healing as well. Yeah, it's very important. And one of the things I discovered is after I wrote the book is that, you know, it has been a help to... um, pastors and church leaders to even know how to address the things that will impact a sexual assault survivor. Because sometimes you hear it addressed from the pulpit and it's addressed from a very male-dominated perspective, which which just says, forgive, forgive, let it go, forgive. It's better for you to forgive. And that's true. It is better for you to forgive. But there are other things at work and at play uh, that we need to understand to be able to minister effectively to someone who is a sexual assault survivor.
1: It's funny hearing you talk. My mind is going in like two separate directions at once because you could apply this to almost any subject that the church starts getting um, squeamish on. And that's the whole point of this podcast is to deal with the stuff the church can't or won't talk about Um, because we have to. We absolutely have to. What do you do with someone who walks up to you and says, "And this is just an example, but this is stuff that we've covered." You know, someone that says, "Well, I've been—I was a transgender for thirty years, and uh, I was gay. I—I was abused as 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 a boy, or I'm a—I'm an abortion survivor. Someone tried to take my life as a baby. What do you do with that as a church?" We don't know how to deal with these kind of topics. And I believe that what you're bringing forward uh, today is another one of those topics.
0: Part of it is it takes people that people who have been healed, it requires them to be bold and to go first, because um, there are so many people that are going through uh, sexual assault and, you know, the things that you talked about, transgender, you know, uh, sexual, sexual, sexuality, confusion—all of that—that that people are going through those things, and there are people who have come through it, but they're not sharing their testimony. They're not talking about it, and I strongly believe that we never go through anything just for ourselves. We go through things to help other people come out of what we have come out of, and I think that if people start to share their testimonies, be bold. Um, you know, that we can see movements started, right? You know, unresolved is is a movement, right? And so uh, if people, for example, who you say, I used to be a lesbian, but God set me free, start a movement around that. Share your testimony. You could start a movement around your testimony. You can gather people together and share your testimony and say, look, I'm not an expert One thing I know, I once was lost, now I'm found, and I know who set me free. Let me introduce you to who set me free. That's all it takes to start a movement, right? (laughs) So, I would encourage people, you know, to be bold. If you have come out of something or been set free from something, be bold. Share your story. You can start a movement just around your testimony. And, okay, it may not be tens of thousands of people, but who defines the numerical value of a movement?
1: You know, I'm I'm reminded um, when I first started this podcast, just, just to kind of underpin what you just said, you know, when I first started this podcast, I um, it was started out of a need for me to get some answers um, because, as, like I said, I had a lot of issues uh, and the church wasn't giving adequate answers at the time. Um, you know, there, it was typical patent churchy entity answers. And I was just like, I'm done with this. I have questions and I'm taking them to the mic because I figure if I've got them, someone else does. I released like the first week or two episodes and a week later, someone e- emails me and says, well, I heard the interview that you did with the man that lost his mom to suicide. And because of your show, I'm not going to kill
0: myself. Amen. I mean, come on now. That's it. That's what it's about.
1: That, I'm telling you right now, that did it for me. I was in. Even even as I sit here and I think about it now, I mean, I've got tears in my eyes because I didn't expect that. But if one life is saved, if one life is changed, then that's that's why we need to speak up.
0: Yes. (laughs) Hallelujah. Yes. That is it. That is it.
1: I mean, that's why. What is your vision? I mean, now, now that you're seven books later, uh, <laughs> multiple podcasts, and what are you looking to get into now? What is God leading you into now?
0: I know that my mission is to communicate his voice and uh, to help people uh, to really walk in their purpose and their assignment despite pain or trauma. Uh, What God has done for me as he has turned my pain into a platform, and he's helped me to be in position to help other women and other people, you know, who have gone through uh, assault, trauma, all kinds of things in their background. He's given me uh, the ability to now help them to understand that you didn't go through what you went through because something is wrong with you. You went through what you went through because the enemy wants to silence your assignment and silence the greatness in you and so um i have a seminar that i used to teach face to face i've now put it online it's called the purposeful institute and one of the courses in the institute is called identity pain and purpose one of the things we do is we help people to reattach uh, to places in their identity that they may have detached from because they were simply trying to survive you know when we go through pain when we go through trauma uh, we uh, go into survival mode, and uh, we we yeah, and we separate and we detach detach from the things that are causing us pain. So you know you know that's why, for example, when children are abused, they start talking to imaginary friends because they have to detach to survive. They gotta find that place of fantasy. They fracture. In my journey, I found that there were places in me that I had fractured from, that I had detached from, because. I I simply needed to survive. I needed to survive the feeling of abandonment, the feelings of shame, the feelings of rejection. So there were places that I detached from, and when you do that, you you hear people say things like, um, "I feel like part of me is missing," or "I feel like I never had a childhood," or "I feel like part of my adulthood is 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 just gone." And that happens because of the detachment that is a result of trying to survive. And what we try to do in that course is to help people reattach and to help them rediscover the greatness that's on the inside of them and then go on uh, to walk in their assignment.
1: And I think one of the other, um, and I don't know, um, have you noticed that with a lot of the people that go through uh, experiences like that, their memories are shot? I mean, they can't remember. They have like gaps in their memory.
0: Yeah, often. And often that is simply because of, yeah, simply because of the detachment, simply because it is too painful uh, sometimes to remember. And so, uh, they block it out, you know. Uh, even, do, even during the, the process of being raped, some people, esca- they just go outside themselves just to try to escape, right? They try to just block it out, even during the actual moment of being raped and um and it's because of the pain it's because of the pain it's because of the pain it's because of the trauma it's because of that imprint you know trauma leaves an imprint trauma leaves a wound you know and that's why we have expressions like blunt force trauma <laughs> right the force the force left the imprint the force left a wound it left something behind uh and so um we try to help people to heal from those wounds and reconnect with the, the god-given greatness that's on the inside of them.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, I absolutely love what you're doing. I love what you're uh what you're about. I love the fact that you're helping people get restored especially in those areas because there are so many um people that need it. Uh I am a survivor of trauma. Um and so I definitely can relate to what you're talking about there. Uh not so much the rape side of it, but yeah, I've had enough trauma in my childhood in my past that I can definitely relate to uh, what you're talking about. So, thank you so much, Anita, for coming on and sharing your story. Well, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate you having me. And um, I, we are going to be sharing your book. Uh, can you tell people what uh, uh, title of your book and where they can find it?
0: Sure. So, the title of this particular book, um, most... Um, Relevant here is called breaking the silence the journey from rape to redemption And all of my books are on amazon. You can get it on amazon and uh, and Barnes and nobles and all the major online book retailers Um, And you can go to amazon.com forward slash author forward slash lenita reeves l-e-n-i-t-a-r-e-e-v-e-s Or to keep it simple you can just go to (laughs) LenitaReeves.com and you'll you'll find them
1: right and uh um um, there, Your link will be linking to your um, book in the show notes as well. So, uh, well, Lenita, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story.
0: Thank you, too. And I'm so glad for what you're doing with Unresolved. I think it's great. People need answers. And so I'm proud of you and I commend you for what you're doing.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's been a total god thing. Um, I mean the podcast which led to a podcast network which led to I mean it's, it's been God you know we deal with really rough subjects here and this is one of them but I but as you can see there's he, there's hope and there's healing and Leonita Reeves is just one of those people. If you know someone who is struggling, Maybe they've gone through something like rape or sexual abuse or something related to that. Would you share this episode, please? And let's get some people healed. I'm Teresa Blaze. This is the Unresolved Life Podcast. We will speak again next time.